Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Uh, That are around the wall uh, that Nehemiah is uh, helping lead to build back. And and we're going to finish them tonight with the last four gates. Uh, So we're going to look at the water gate, not the water gate that you think of, but we're thinking of the water gate here in Jerusalem around the wall. Uh, we're going to look at the horse gate, the east gate, and then the gate Mifkad, and that will complete it. And then at the end of the study tonight, uh, we're going to kind of do a very quick review uh, of all ten. But as we're looking through these, uh, we're looking how we can look at this as having a balanced Christian life. As each of the ten gates we're looking at to represent an area in our Christian life. And so in Nehemiah, uh, again, chapter 3, we see the last four gates towards the end of the chapter, uh, the water, the horse, the east, and the gate Mifkad. Uh, But tonight, starting with the water gate, uh, let's go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter 5. The first verses we're going to read tonight is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. And it reads... Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So here in verse 26 in Ephesians chapter 5, we read about the washing of the water by the word of God. Uh, last time that we spoke, uh, when we talked about the gate of the fountain, uh, we used that to represent the flowing of the Holy Spirit uh, of our lives. But here the water we're looking at in Ephesians 5 does not represent the Holy Spirit, but the Word of God. And so we're going to look at the Word of God as being represented by the water gate here. There's a few things, a few important things as we delve into the Word. And the first is, The importance of the word is it is incremental in us being saved. If we are born again, it is because the word of God uh, came to us. That is the way that men and women are saved today. Whether we realize it or not, you were saved by the word of God. 1 Peter Peter 1.21 tells us, which liveth and abideth forever. So we're brought into the family of God by the convicting power of the Word of God. It's transforming. It is powerful. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We would not be on our way to heaven right now, if we are, without hearing the Word of God. And that alone should make it very precious to our heart. So the first important thing about the Word is if we are saved, it is because of the Word of God. Another important thing about the Word of God is it will bring someone success. You know, today a lot of people want to be successful in whatever area of life you have. And in the King James Version of the Bible, the only 
time that success is mentioned is in one of my favorite uh, verses, Joshua 1.8. And Joshua 1.8 tells us, This book of the law shall not depart from the, out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou should have good success. And so if we want to be successful today, you know, it gives us the recipe here. We need to meditate on God's word day and night. If we want to be a successful Christian, we need to spend time in the word. If we want to be a successful husband, father, wife, mother, business person, whatever area that you would like to be successful in, you know, we need to spend time in the word of God. It's the same in business. It's the same with your family. You know, if we want to have our families blessed by God and have a successful family, you know, we need to spend time in the word and in obedience to the word of God. Also, besides being important, the word of God has much influence or should have much influence on us as Christians today. The Bible is the living word of God. And there's three things that we want to look that it could do for us daily. The first thing that the Bible should have in the life of everyone is a conviction, a convicting power. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is preaching, and he's uh, preaching to the Pharisees and the Jews, that they were just like their fathers of the Old Testament, that they killed every prophet, that they rejected the word of God. The Bible says that when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed him with their teeth. Now, there's many times that people have been upset with me, you know, probably times in your life maybe someone has been upset with you, but probably not to this extent. I hope not to this extent. You know, but what made them so mad was the word of God was convicting. You know, it cut them to their heart. You know, they were realizing their sin. You know, many times when Jesus preached, when he was done, there was a great conviction of the Holy Spirit of God because of the word. But it not just happens to sinners. Conviction should also happen to saints. The sinner is convicted of his sin and his sinful nature before God. But as Christians, you and I need to be convicted of our sins. We need the word of God working through the Holy Spirit in our lives to let us know when we have fallen short of God's holiness and have sinned before him. And so the word of God, working with the Holy Spirit, should convict us of our sins so that we can confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So does the word of God have influence in our lives to convict us? The second thing that it has influence over, or should have influence over our lives, is to cleanse. In John chapter 13, we saw the illustration of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. They said that they were already washed, they were completely cleaned, but they needed their feet cleaned. That is the part that was constantly in contact you know, with the world, with the dirt and dust. You know, when we are saved, you know, we are cleansed, but we still have contact in this world. You know, we still become dusty from the things that go on around us, even if it's involuntary. We see things that are 
not what Christians should be seeing. We hear things all around us today. And so we as Christians sometimes just need to get alone with God and say, cleanse me from these things. You know, how does a man or woman of God keep themselves holy in a world like we live in today? It's by reading and obeying the word of God. Again, let the word of God cleanse us so when we sin, we can read, obey it, and help keep us from that sin in the future. So the word of God can convict, it should cleanse, uh, but the last thing we're going to look at tonight is it also comforts. In Colossians 3.16, we read, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with the grace in your hearts to the Lord. The word of God will also comfort and strengthen us. In Psalms 119, David is talking about comfort and joy and praise and peace. David rejoiced in the word of God. A lot of times, the world rejoices in money and material things and a lot of other things, but not in the word of God. People of the world don't know the real thing that we should be rejoicing in. Again, their success is in their bank account. And while David was a king and had all the finances you know, of that time, you know, he found his true comfort and joy came from the king of kings, not in his money, the paychecks, or things of the world. But also, David had many problems. He was hated by Saul. He was hated by his own son Absalom, who tried to kill him and become king hated by the Philistines, had enemies all around, was constantly persecuted and tormented. So like everyone else, David had a lot of problems going through trials and troubles. You know, he could have easily you know, turned away, gone under, given up. But he found delight and comfort in the word of God. Throughout Psalms 119, we read about when we have trouble and trials, that we should flee to the refuge of the word of God that we can find God as our rock of our salvation, that the word of God should be our joy and delight. In the word, there is hope, comfort, and a hiding place. When we're concerned or worried about what's going on around us, you know, all we should do is read the Bible and pray. When we're fearful of this world or something going on in our life, he will strengthen and comfort us and be able to give us the hiding place that we can rejoice and delight in him. We should never let anything keep us from reading the word of God. Every time we should read when we have a chance. You know, a lot of times we find time to do the things that we enjoy, whether it be a pastime, a hobby, you know, being around friends. You know, but do we find that same time to spend in the word of God? You know, it may mean getting up earlier. It may be staying up later at night. You know, whatever it takes, you know, we need to be in the word of God. As Christians, if we're not in the word of God, you know, we're sinning. And so we'll be walking in darkness. We need to be in the word of God to have his wisdom you know, in this day. So we've talked you know, about this water gate. And what else does water do? It quenches our thirst. You know, we haven't found anything as Christians in this world that can satisfy like the word of God. You know, the more that we are in this world, you know, the more the dust and dirt 
from this world, you know, dries us out, so to speak. You know, and what is more refreshing than the water that we see from the Word of God? And so this is a well that will never run dry. So do we spend the time in the Word of God like we need? The second gate that we're looking at tonight is the horse gate. The horse gate was the place where the horses were kept and the stables were located for the horses of the city. Usually in these days, it was the kings, you know, and also the soldiers that had horses. You know, the farmers used oxen and donkeys, uh, but, you know, those in the military are where horses were. If we read in Deuteronomy, we see that the king was not to go to Egypt, and he was not to get horses. And the reason why we find out in the book of Psalms is it was so easy for the people of Israel you know, to put their trust in the horses and trust in the size of their army, you know, instead of putting their trust in the Lord God of hosts. And so we're going to look at the horse gate you know, about uh, our enemies and how important it is for God to fight these battles. And so the first thing as we look to the horse gate, wanted to remind us of the enemies that are around us. This gate reminded the Jews that they had some enemies. And we need to also be reminded today that we have enemies. You know, the children of Israel had you know, the Egyptians, the Philistines, all the enemies you know, of the Lord's people all around. And that's why this wall was necessary. You know, there's always enemies to God's people, even today. And so the gate should remind us of the spiritual war that we as Christians should be engaged in. Today, we have the flesh, we have the world, and we have the devil as our enemies. And the flesh is real. It is proud, it is persistent, it's depraved, it's deceptive and deadly. You know, a lot of times you hear people blaming the devil for making them do things. Uh, but probably, you know, very few of us have been personally attacked by Satan. Most of the time, that's an excuse for us giving in to our old wicked flesh. This is a constant battle as Christians. And it is one when we get out of bed in the morning that we need to be prepared to fight that day. If not how easily you know, that battle could be lost. And so the horse gate says that we have an internal enemy, excuse me, the flesh, and the flesh is at enmity with God. It hates God. But we also have to be aware of the world. The world is always attacking the values of Christians. The world system has different priorities than we should have. It tries to give us a false purpose in life. It causes us to waste our time doing things that aren't eternally important in the scheme of things. The world attacks us that way, tries to get us busy about other things. So the flesh attacks our emotions, and the world often attacks our priorities and the purpose that we have in life. And then, of course, there is the devil. He is active and aggressive. He likes people to be addicted to themselves and to the world. And his purpose is to control people. So this gate was put up to remind us that we have some enemies. We all have the same enemies, and we're in this battle together. And the second thing that this gate you know, should make us uh, remember is our slothfulness. 
you know, our slothfulness. This gate is to remind not only that we had enemies, but we as Christians need to be fervent. We must always be on guard. We must watch and pray. With the enemies always around badgering us, how can we fail not to open up the Bible and build these walls? Not to be on guard and watch and pray. You know, we need, as Christian parents, grandparents, friends, families, you know, be praying and be encouraging one another. You know, we're in this battle, you know, each and every one of us, and we need to be there so we can help ourselves and others avoid the pitfalls and the traps that are set around to snare us. You know, too many times Christians today become very slothful and lazy, and, you know, we always think that someone else is going to do that. And so we need to continue to keep our guard up, we need to pray, we need to put on the whole armor of God and be prepared to serve God and fight this enemy. The third gate that we're going to look at today is the east gate, the east gate. And so if we look at Matthew 24, 27, it tells us, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The scripture tells us the Son of Man is going to be coming from the east. We'll also remember that the wise men you know, saw his star from the east. The east spoke of the coming of Christ. His first coming was signified by a star from the east, and Jesus said that when the Son of Man comes the second time, he'll be coming from the same direction. So this east gate speaks to us of the coming of the Lord Jesus. This gate was there to remind them that their Messiah was going to come and redeem them from all their enemies. Sadly, the Jews today are still looking for the Messiah. They're still looking for Christ the first time. They've not recognized that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he was the Messiah that he said he was who is coming back. But the Bible says that one day every eye shall see him and they shall wail because of him whom they had pierced. One day the Jews will realize that Jesus Christ is the true Messiah and that was promised to come. As we looked at the East Gate, we should be reminded of our responsibilities as we anticipate the second coming of Christ. And three ways that we should be looking for his coming. And the first is to look with priority. Titus 2.11 tells us, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So the responsibility is to look for him. When the Bible talks about looking, it's talking about our priorities. You know, what are we focusing upon? What is our attention given to? It's not just looking at a physical thing. You know, we are looking unto Jesus. If we're looking to and for Jesus, then we should have a different set of priorities than the world. You know, today the world's biggest set of priorities is how much fun and how much enjoyment that they can have in this time. You know, we, you know, should be looking for Christ's coming, whether it be tonight, tomorrow, or the next day. And that should allow us to have a whole different set of priorities. You know, are we faithful in church attendance? You know, are we faithful with the things that the Word tells us about? 
How different would our lives be if we knew for sure that Christ was coming back in two days? You know, would it be any different? You know, as a Christian, you know, we should be anticipating his return and knowing that it would be coming at any time. Are we busy about his work and his will at this time? So not only should we be looking for his coming with priority, but we should also be laboring with zeal. Laboring with zeal. We are to be zealous of good works. The world says today, do as little as possible to get by. And I think anybody that's working today can see that. You're trying to find employees that even show up, regardless of what kind of work they do, trying to find somebody that will actually come to work is a very, very hard thing to do. You know, but sadly, it's even slipped that mindset into our Christian lives. Some Christians do as little as possible, they think, just to keep God off their back and keep the preacher from bothering them. And, and what a sad note that is for Christians today to have that mindset. We as Christians should be zealous. We should be seeking every opportunity to serve God. Jesus tells us, occupy till I come. If there is one reason why our Lord has not come yet, it should be that souls might be saved. And we should surely be out there trying to win those souls while we're waiting for him to return. You know, we should be witnessing about the grace of God, about his faithfulness, looking for opportunities to tell people of the good news of Jesus Christ. James says that the fervent prayer availeth much. Don't we think that we should pray more fervently and zealously if we really believe that the Lord is coming back right now and we have lost loved ones that would be left behind? So if we are totally convinced that our Lord is coming back soon, shouldn't we be praying and serving more fervently? And the last thing for the East Gate is in these last days, we should be living in purity living in purity. If we continue in Titus 2, uh, from 11 down to 14, it continues to tell us, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The grace of God does not teach us that once we're saved, we can go out and live like the devil. You know, sadly today, a lot of people believe that once we say a prayer, we can live our life any way we want because we then will be going to heaven. The Bible teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly and righteously. It teaches us to live a pure life. Again, grace is not a license to sin. Grace is liberty to live for him today. It is the power to serve God. He says that those who will be looking to the East Gate will be encouraged to look, to labor, and to live for him. And the last of the ten gates is the gate Mifkad. The Hebrew word Mifkad uh, means appointment, uh, sometimes judgment. 
The gate Mifkad, which is not mentioned in any other place in the Bible, is the gate of judgment. It is to remind the Jews uh, that the judgment of God is sure. God used the Philistines to judge the nation of Israel during the days of Judges. The Syrians came in 722 B.C. and destroyed uh, the land of Israel and took away captives. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians came and destroyed Judah. These Jews knew that God would judge his people. They were convinced of that, and they erected this gate as a reminder. And so there's two judgments that we want to take a look at today as we look at this tenth gate. The first is the chastening rod, the chastening rod. In Hebrews 12:5, we read, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. There are some things here in Hebrews that Paul says that we're not to do. First of all, we should not forget the exhortation. He's saying we should not forget that God does chasten his children. And we're also not supposed to despise this chastening of the Lord. That is, when God chastens you, don't become bitter or rebellious towards God. And then the third thing, we're told not to faint or despair, not to get discouraged. You know, sometimes as parents, when you discipline your children, you know, they you know, don't take it very well. You know, they fight back or yell or whatever they may do. You know, but do we, as children of God, handle his chastening the same way? You know, how do we respond to God when he needs to chasten or to correct us? You know, he needs to tell us some things. First of all, we also find out here, if we continue down in Hebrews 12, that we need to remember that God loves us. God does not discipline in anger, but in love. Also, God only disciplines his children. So if we're receiving the chastening of the Lord, we should be thankful because that is an indication that we are born again. You know, he does not discipline us because we have embarrassed him. You know, too many times, earthly parents sometimes um, punish their kids, but they do it for themselves. When the Lord chastens us, it's for our own good. You know, a lot of times parents, you know, are doing things so they would look better, but that's not the case with the Lord. The Lord knows what is best for us. You know, we're also to remember that we need to be in subjection to the Lord. You know, when we uh, discipline our children because they get a little bit rebellious, you know, too many times today as Christians, our flesh you know, may lead us astray, may give us an arrogant, disobedient attitude, and God may need to bring us back in check or discipline us. So we need to remember the chastening rod. And the chastening rod will help bring ourselves into subjection and, excuse me, will help us become the holy Christian that he wants us to be. And the second judgment here is the coming judgment seat. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it tells us, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 
when Paul says uh, in verse 10 here, we, he's talking about Christians. So this is the judgment that we as Christians are going to be a part of. And so we should not you know, mess this up with the great white throne judgment seat. You know, the judgment seat that we're talking about now is for Christians. And so are we prepared to have what we've done for the Lord come out? Everybody will receive something. Um, not only will everyone receive something, but we'll also receive according to what we have done, whether it be good or bad. So what have we been doing for the Lord, for eternal things? You know, or are we losing opportunities to earn the crowns that we find out uh, in Revelations? So we have the chastening rod and the coming judgment seat. You know, are we as Christians ready and prepared for these. And so this brings us to the end of the 10 gates. And so we'll go ahead and do a quick review here. Um, again, we went through these fairly quickly today. But we started uh, several weeks ago uh, looking at the sheep gate. When it comes to this gate, we should be reminded of the sheep whose blood was shed. And it is the gate of sacrifice, praise, and worship. Then we saw the fish gate. And this gate tells us, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. And then thirdly, we saw the old gate, to which it said, keep the old standards, the old morals, and not to change with what the world would say. The fourth, we learned about the valley gate, to tell us not to forget where we came from, to humble ourselves. It's a gate of humility and overcoming pride. The fifth gate was the dung gate, where, the Lord, uh, where we asked the Lord to cleanse our heart and to reveal our sins. And then the dung gate also, uh, after that we go to the fountain gate. And here we sense and here we realize that we need the Holy Spirit of God. And then we looked at today the water gate, where we need the word of God to cleanse, comfort, and conform us. And then the horse gate, where we're reminded of our enemies, the flesh, the world, and the devil. And then we move to the east gate to remind us that the Lord could come at any time, even today, and that we must look, labor, and live for him. And lastly, we have the gate Mifkad, and tells us to not forget the chastening of the judgment of God. And so as we came to the end of Ephesians 3, uh, we see the last gate, and then they start over that they've reached the sheep gate, worshiping and praising God, asking God to give them the burden to help stand in the gap. And today, you know, we often can look at one or two of these areas that we talked about, but as a balanced Christian life, you know, these are all things, you know, that we as Christians spend time in. You know, we can't let one area overtake all the rest in our life. You know, how are we? How am I in my Christian life? Are these areas you know, that I am putting enough time in, or sadly, you know, has Satan, has uh, my flesh distracted us you know, from where we should be? I hope you've enjoyed this so far. We'll move out of Nehemiah chapter 3. We'll move on quicker here in the, in the next couple weeks. Uh, but we'll go ahead and close in a word of prayer, and then we'll have the gentleman come up, and we'll go into our prayer time. 
Our gracious Heavenly Father, once again, we do thank you for this uh, midweek service. We thank you for this prayer service, Lord, that we can come into your house. Uh, Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, I just pray as we uh, prepare to lift up our petitions to a all-knowing, all-loving God, uh, Lord, that you would hear our needs, uh, Lord, that you would meet uh, the requests that we have. Lord, continue to allow this church to be a lighthouse in this community, uh, loving and serving you. Again, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we ask this all in Christ's name, amen. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.